Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Right. We have 45 students registered for Winterfest coming up in just a couple of months, a month and a half, maybe not even that long. Um, we're super excited. Um, registration is uh, closed. You can still sign up and be put on a waiting list, but the chartered bus is completely full. Can we give God praise for that, that that many students is going to go and experience the Holy Spirit? Uh, super uh, excited for what God is going to do. Partner with me uh, and PK and, and specifically Jason as he leads this group that they really will uh, experience Jesus on a whole nother level and come back different than they go. Amen. Um, we've been in a series called White Noise and uh, how many of you have enjoyed White Noise so far? Have you all enjoyed it? Um, you know, uh, this is one of those series that sometimes you don't know until you get into a series the uh, significance of it. Uh, but I don't know that there's any series I've preached within the last year that has gotten more feedback. Um, it seems like every person I run into, uh, it doesn't matter if it's at a gym uh, or Walmart or wherever, they, they, they're talking about this series and what it has meant to them and their family. And so I know there's a, a prophetic thing on this series, and many of you have been encouraged by it. Uh, and when we talk about white noise, um, we learned in week one that in order to walk closely with Jesus, um, there is something about you and I being able to silence the external noise in our lives so that we can pursue Jesus. But we live in a culture, we live in a world where there are numerous things fighting for our attention that's trying to distract us from not only intimately knowing Jesus, but from accomplishing the purpose that God has for us. And so we talked about silencing the noise, mainly dealt with external noise. And then week two, we talked about silencing the negative thoughts. And I'm gonna be honest with you, that was my favorite of the entire series. Uh, and, and there's a lot of reason for that because we learned in, in that message that some of us, we've mastered being able to silence external noise, but we've not mastered how to silence the internal noise. And for a lot of people, uh, the, the noise in their life is the negativity. And we forget that the children of Israel could not go into the promised land because of their negativity. Negativity will keep you out of everything God ever wanted for you. The, the Bible says that their negativity manifested through their complaints. If you find yourself complaining, what you don't understand about complaints, the same way our praise attracts the presence of God, our complaints attracts demonic spirits into our homes. And, and, and we can forfeit everything God has, and it's not even that anything external at all happened. It's what's going on internally. Uh, the good news is, is that we can change from negative to positive. It's not easy, but it's doable. Um, we just have to be intentional to make that shift, to make that jump. Um, and I, I said in that, that message, a lot of people are thinking themselves into a, lot, a life that they hate. They thank themselves into a life that they hate. And then last week, we talked about healing from trauma. 
We learned about the different types of trauma. There's acute, chronic, and complex. And trauma isn't so much about the event or the injury or the betrayal or, uh, you know, the rejection, the thing that happened. Trauma is our response, how we respond to what happened. There's nothing you can do to go back and change the event. How I many? We can't go back in time and change what happened. The only thing we can work on, the only thing we can heal from is, is our response to what happened. We can change that. Uh, and God wants to do that in our lives. And so I want to close the series out uh, talking to you about this subject. I want to preach to you about heal my anxious mind. Heal my anxious mind. How many of you have ever felt incredibly unprepared, insecure, overwhelmed, battling feelings of anxiety? Would you raise your hand if you've ever felt that? You, you, I feel unprepared. I feel insecure. I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. Most people can relate to that feeling. I, I think everybody at some level or another can relate to being overwhelmed by feelings of anxiety, feelings of, of feeling overwhelmed. And you couple that with the fact that maybe you grew up in a church where they told you, um, you should not have anxiety. Just give it to Jesus, right? Don't you dare have anxiety. Just give it to God. And there is truth to that. There is truth to that. Uh, you know, we need to be encouraged to live uh, anxious free. We need to be encouraged to live in rest and in peace. But when we uh, are battling with anxiety and somebody says, don't have anxiety, uh, sometimes we then move into uh, feeling guilt for having anxiety, which what? It compounds the anxiety. And so it multiplies it instead of alleviating it. Uh, because we, how many's ever been told, don't, don't be, you shouldn't do that. Have the peace of God. And then you felt guilty for being anxious, right? Like I've been there. It compounds, it multiplies. Um, and then you have people that will quote, as I did last week, I quoted a very familiar portion of scripture to you. Uh, I'm going to quote another one. Y'all, some of you are smiling because you know what verse I'm going to read. Philippians chapter four. Let's look at it real quick. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So the scripture says to be anxious for nothing or about nothing. And sometimes I read that verse, depending on what season I'm in, I read that verse, and sometimes I just want to say, God, is that even possible? Is it possible for me to live without any level of anxiety? And I don't know what it is in your world, but I can only imagine with the amount of people in this room uh, that would represent maybe financial trouble, bills to pay, medical diagnosis that you're, you're uh, navigating, raising kids in this culture, relational problems, job stress. I mean, have you even looked at the price of a gallon of milk? Come on, y'all, smile. There's a lot of factors that go into people feeling anxious about their life. Uh, and, and so it brings us to question, is it even possible to navigate this world, to live in this culture, and not battle anxiety? Now listen, if you've ever felt 
uh, like you were battling anxiety or you've been overwhelmed with it, I want to tell you right up front, you are not alone. The enemy wants you to believe, no matter what it is you're going through, that you're the only one that has ever tried to navigate that or had to navigate that. You are not the only one. In fact, they did a study back in 2019, and this study concluded that two out of three Americans were battling anxiety at some level. Two out of three. Now, that was in 2019. The reason I bring that up is because um, that was one year before the world went cray-cray, right? 2020 is when the pandemic hit, and, and what we learned from that is that it was two out of three in 2019, but now those numbers have gotten worse. The frequency and the intensity of people dealing with anxiety is at an all-time high, especially in the younger generation. There's another study that shows that 91% of those in high school or in college are battling anxiety and dealing with stress. 91% of our high school students and college students are battling with anxiety and stress at some level. Now, let me just say this up front. Anxiety uh, is, it, all anxiety is not created equal. And what I mean by that is that for some of us, um, when we talk about anxiety, it's very occasional. It could be uh, you have a test coming up and you feel anxious about the test. That's, that's a level, that's a minor level of anxiety. Maybe at your job, uh, it's required at your job to, to do presentations. And when you have to do presentations in front of all of your coworkers, you get a little bit nervous. There's anxiety that surrounds that event. Uh, that's minor levels of anxiety. Uh, for some of you, it could be that one person that we all have, um, that one person, and listen to me, if you don't have that one person, it's because you are that person to somebody else. Uh, but it's that one person that when they text us and we see their name on the phone, we immediately have anxiety because you just don't know what you are about to read. It's immediate, like as soon as their name pops up and they've sent you a text, you feel uh, the heart rate goes up a little. Uh, I wonder, and then, and then you get the courage, right, for that one person, that one person. Y'all thinking about one person, I got 45 of them, right? When they text, oh, what's this gonna be? Um, but they, you finally get the courage to text them back. And you send it, and then you're watching your phone. Y'all don't do this, it's just me. You watch your phone, and you see the little bubbles come up. And you watch the little bubbles come up, and then the bubbles disappear, and they don't text anything back. What happens then? You get more stressed out, right? You, you, you're watching it. You, 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 there's anxiety attached uh, to them sending you a message. Now, that, those are minor levels of anxiety, okay? Minor levels of stress. Some of you, though, when we talk about anxiety, it's, it's crushing you. It's debilitating you. There's a constant sense of dread, shortness of breath. You feel your heartbeat rising. You feel like the walls are closing in on you. And sometimes it feels like you can't even function at normal capacity. 
Whatever level of anxiety you are battling, I want you to know up front today that God cares about you and God wants to heal that part of your life. How many believe that God wants to and will heal that part of our life? I, I believe that with all of my heart. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to get there in a minute, but let me set the story up. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to look at one of the best kings that Israel had. They had some good ones. They had some bad ones. The one we're going to talk about today was one of the good ones. His name was Jehoshaphat. He was the fourth king of Judah in the southern kingdom of Israel. And Judah at this time had um, enemies that were preparing to attack them. And if you can imagine, you got this godly king who is leading a good kingdom, and suddenly the Moabites are attacking on one, one front. On another front, he's got the Moabites attacking. And then on another front, he's got the Ammonites who are attacking. You got the Moabites, you got the Ammonites, and then the Meunites are attacking. Three different nations all at the same time. And even worse than that, the mosquito bites are coming. Not really, just making sure you're listening. Okay. Three nations coming against them. And it's at this point that Jehoshaphat is battling with anxiety. And we're going to see him literally battling through the stress of three nations coming against him at the same time. And that's the way it works for us. Most of us are okay at handling one thing. If we're dealing with one thing, most of us can handle it. Like, we got one problem, we're going to deal with the one problem. Um, yeah, we, we can take the one thing, isolate it, set it to the side. We can deal with it without too much anxiety. The problem uh, that we have is when it's not just one thing, but it's multiple things coming at us simultaneously that brings us to a point that we, we start to feel fear and we start to experience anxiety. It's difficult when, okay, let's just say, for instance, you got a strained relationship with your boss. That's going on. It's not working right and it's stressful, but you got that going on and then the car breaks down. And the car breaks down means it's going to cost money to fix the car, but you and your spouse have been talking about a budget and not spending extra money, but now we got to spend money on the car to fix the car because we got to have a car to go make money to pay the bills, and that produces a relational stress in your life. And then maybe you started a diet at the same time, and on day one of your diet, you show up at the office, and they bring in cinnamon rolls and donuts, and you're like, I can't take it no more. Money problems, car problems, boss problems, and now they brought donuts on day one, and you hit what we all call a breaking point. You are overwhelmed with anxiety. We referenced a few minutes ago about the younger generation. I love the young, how many love the younger generation? Some of y'all really thinking about that. I love the younger generation. I mean, I, I, I would have to. I have a 16-year-old and a 15-year-old and an 8-year-old all in my house. So I've got to love the younger generation. But they've done so many studies on the younger generation and what they're dealing with. And what they, one article said is that they are the most educated of all with the least clear path to what they would call success. And so you've got over-educated, under uh, underemployed group 
and they feel like they are falling behind in life. They're overeducated, they're underemployed, they feel like they can't buy a home, so they postpone a home. They feel like I'm not with inflation, I can't afford to be married, so they postpone the wedding. And they're falling farther and farther behind, and, and it's like they cannot catch up in the world. And so many of them are battling with anxiety. Even our children are overwhelmed with anxiety. And to make matters worse, we come to church and we hear Pastor Chad say, be anxious for nothing. And some of y'all are just looking at me like, I wish he would just spend a day in my shoes. Just one day in my shoes. And then, then tell me to be anxious for nothing. As I said earlier, many times when we're told to be anxious for nothing, it actually, because we feel guilty, it compounds the anxiety. We start feeling bad because after all, we want to be pleasing to God. We want to serve Him well. We, if He says to have peace, we want to have peace. If He says to rest, we want to have rest. But because of all the things going on in our world, and because we're told not to be anxious, many of us, we, we continue to fall into patterns of anxiety. And so the first thing I really want to show you today First thing is anxiety isn't a sin. I want you to jot this down, and I'm going to show you very clearly that it's not a sin. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was going to give his life on the cross, he knelt down and he begged God the Father, begged him, is there any other way? He knew that suffering was coming to him. And he said, if there's any other way, may this cross of suffering, may this cup of suffering be removed from me. And he cried out in agony and in anguish to where his sweat became literal drops of blood. But in this state of anxiety, overwhelming anxiety, he literally had the weight of the world on his shoulder. Literally. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's Jesus. He dealt with feelings of being overwhelmed by the moment he was in. Anxiety isn't a sin. Anxiety is a symptom. It's what we might call a signal, okay? Y'all tracking with me so far? It's a signal. For example, if you're driving your car and that little light comes on, y'all know the little light on your dashboard where it tells you something's wrong and you're driving and you're like, nothing seems wrong, but the light is telling you something is wrong. The signal is indicating that there is something about the car it's, it's a symptom of an issue that needs to be discovered and it needs to be fixed. So what do you do when that little light comes on on the dashboard? You don't throw the car away, right? You take the car to a mechanic so that they can discover the problem, fix the car, give it back to you. And so when, when we're battling, spiritually speaking, when we're battling with thoughts of being overwhelmed and we're filled with anxiety, it is a signal to us to do three things. This is the sermon today. It's a signal to do three things. If you are anxious or battling anxiety, number one, it's a signal that it's time to pray. Hit your neighbor and tell him it's time to pray. When I feel anxious, 
That is a signal that it's time to pray. It's time to go before God, to seek God, and, and to take our cares to God who cares for us. And this is exactly what Jehoshaphat did in the text that we're about to read. He's terrified. He's alarmed. He's anxious by the news that he has three nations coming against him at the same time. And in 2 Chronicles chapter number 20, we're going to read verses 3, 6, and 9. Here's, here's what it says. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. How I many of prayer and fasting works? He ordered them to fast. He prayed, O oh Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. And they said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us, and you will rescue us. This is the prayer he begins to offer. And so when you are overwhelmed by anxiety and you're dealing with anxious thoughts, you can do exactly what Jehoshaphat did. You can treat that as a signal that it is time to get into the presence of God. And if you want to be real fancy like he was, you can be real fancy and you can start your prayer. Oh, Lord God of our ancestors. But you don't have to be fancy if you don't want to. You don't have to be theological. You can pray like I do sometimes where I'm like, God, I need some help. I just need your help. I don't know where to go. I don't know what decision to make. I feel the walls are closing in on me. God, help. How many know God understands help? You can be fancy if you need to be. If that's your cup, then drink your cup. But if you're, if you're real desperate, you don't have to be theologically sound. You can get in his presence and say, God, I need some help. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to change this. I don't know how to make this different than what it is. I need some help. And God will hear you, and God will deliver you. When you don't know what to do, you can cry out to God and have faith that he will hear your cry. Dr. Caroline Leaf, she's author of a book called Switch on Your Brain. She's a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist. Everybody say she's smart. With a master's and PhD, I wasn't done yet. PhD in communication pathology, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. Let me shoot it straight with you. I have no idea what that all means. I don't know what it means. I just know she's really, really smart. And she has discovered that it has been found that in 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period, that it can change the brain to such a degree that it can be measured on a brain scan. 12 minutes a day of focused prayer. I'm not talking about I'm in the Lord's presence while you scroll Facebook. 12 minutes a day of focused prayer over an eight-week period has been proven to literally change what's going on in your brain. 12 minutes a day for eight weeks. So that, that tells me 
that not only does prayer touch the heart of God, but prayer changes the chemistry of my brain. And this is incredibly ex exciting because that tells me my brain is not fixed, which is real good news because sometimes my brain wants to go to the wrong places and stay there for far too long. That science has actually proven that the brain can change. The chemistry of the brain can change. There's a fancy word for it. I'm not going to pronounce the fancy word for your brain changing. I just want to tell you what it means. It means that the more you think a thought, the more often you can think that thought. And the more you think the thought, the easier it is to think that thought. And as that's happening, check this out. Your brain is creating millions and even billions of neural pathways that God designed so that you can get out, watch this, you can get out of stinking thinking. You can literally change what you meditate on, what you allow into your mind, what you get stuck on, you can literally change it as you focus on the Word of God. I would encourage some of you, if you're battling anxiety and every day the walls are closing in on you, I would encourage you to find at least 12 minutes every day of focused prayer to get yourself into the presence of God over an eight-week stretch and watch what God will do through His presence and through His Word. My prayer touches God heart his heart but it also it, it changes the chemistry of my mind it's a powerful concept we don't have to get stuck God is fascinating in the way he made our brains he gave us the and I'm gonna make sure I pronounce this right because we got doctors in the house and we got educators in the house and if I get up here and I'm butchering this they're gonna tell me after church don't talk about medical stuff I get it uh, but he gave us something called let me get it right amygdala the amygdala how many's heard of the amygdala okay this was not this is not my field all right the amygdala is the little almond shaped thing in our brain that is there for our good um, when something goes wrong the amygdala sounds alarms for us it tells us that there's something like, like great example you're walking through the woods and you're by yourself walking through the woods and you hear rustling over in the the amygdala is an alarm and the, the amygdala is probably not going to tell you oh it's just a bunny rabbit <laughs> the amygdala is an alarm the amygdala might say that's a lion that's a tiger that's a bear oh my right it's bigfoot right it, it's it's what scares us it's what makes us recognize i'm, I'm walking into danger um and the amygdala is doing its job when it does that because God created it to do that. The problem is when we start to dwell on the alarm, when we meditate on the alarm. In fact, the word in Scripture most translated as anxiety is a word that literally means dwelling on or pondering on fearful or anxious thoughts. That's the word the Bible uses for anxiety. It literally is an image of you and I when we meditate on the negative. In other words, some of us, we are training our brains to be anxious. This makes people mad because we want to blame someone else for anxiety. If we're living in a constant state of anxiety, 
It's because we're meditating consistently on the wrong things over a long period of time. And here's the, here's the real dilemma, that when we, when we think on the wrong things over a long period of time and we don't learn how to release those in the presence of God, after a while, anxiety will not remain anxiety. Anxiety will eventually bring us to a pit, like a dark place, where we think that God is not for us where we think God is not with us, where we think we are stuck in this place, that there is no rescue for us, that there is no hope for us. And here's the thing, anxiety is natural. Everybody here has felt feelings of anxiety. The cool thing is prayer is supernatural. So me being anxious is normal in the world. But prayer is supernatural. Me being anxious is natural. Prayer is supernatural. And here's what I came to tell somebody today with this first point. When, I, when I'm overwhelmed with feelings of anxiety, it's a signal alerting me to pray because prayer breaks the cycle of anxiety. If you can find yourself into the, you can't live in the presence of God and remain anxious. He says, cast your care on me because I care about you. Casting is a fisherman's term, which means when I come into the presence of God, I worship him, I honor him, I thank him for saving me. But I also got to picture in my mind when I'm praying and, and I'm in his presence that I am casting everything that makes me anxious, the marital problems, the financial problems, the diagnosis, the wayward child, that I literally need to picture me casting my cares to him because he cares for us you were never built to carry all that by yourself it's why he says bring it to me if you're tired and worn out come to me and I will give you rest somebody give God a praise in this place y'all y'all making me work for it today God does not want us to be anxious look at what happens second chronicles 20 12 it says oh our God won't you stop them we are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Some of you can identify with this prayer because you have been in seasons. Maybe you're in a season where you feel exactly like that. We don't know what to do. We're just looking for your help. But this is too much for me to handle, God. I don't know how to see this different. I don't know how to have a different perspective. I don't know how to get it all done. I don't have what it takes to carry this load. Jehoshaphat is literally telling God, we don't know what to do. There's no way. We are powerless against this mighty army. Three armies attacking us at the same time. But I love what he does. He switches gears. And he says, we're powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We don't know what to do. But he says something very powerful. He said, we are looking to you. Jehoshaphat is saying, there is no way I can handle what's coming against me, but I am looking 
to you. I am desperate for you. I need you, God. I'm training my mind to think about you. I'm not believing the lies of the enemy, that, but I'm going to renew my mind to truth. I'm looking at your character. I'm looking at your righteousness. I'm looking at your nature. I'm looking at your power. I'm choosing to believe that you are with me, and I choose to believe that you are working out all things for my good. Anybody believe that God truly is working out all things for your good? I don't know what to do. There's too much. I can't handle it. I'm freaking out about this. I'm stressed out about this. It's not a sin. It's a symptom. It's a signal that you need to pray. It's a signal that you need God. That's why people, when they, when they say things like, well, I got this going on, I got that going on, I got this other thing going on, and then people reach what they call a breaking point. Because believe it or not, we were not designed to carry all of those things. We were not designed to. That's why we're encouraged all throughout Scripture to take these things into the presence of God. 1 Peter 5 and 7, I've already quoted it, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. Let me say this before I give you the second thing that anxiety is telling us to do. If it's big enough for you to worry about, then it's big enough to pray about. So when I'm dealing with anxiety, it's a signal, it's time to pray. Secondly, it's time to pause. It's time to pause. 2 Chronicles 20, 12, 13 says, Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. And all, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. I don't want to be critical about this verse at all. But when you read this verse, you can see the tension. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you. In that very next verse, in verse 13, he says, As all the men of Judah stood. Everybody say stood. I want you to get this. They paused. There's not an action there. The men got their wives and their children, and they stood. When I'm filled with anxiety, it's time to pray, and it's time to pause. It's time to simply stand. The reason I struggle with that verse, maybe you don't, but when there is a problem, and PK can tell you, and people that know me well can tell you, if there's a problem, I want to fix it. And if I can't fix it, I feel bad about myself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody battle that? Like it's, I know there's a certain personality type that you're wired, that like you want to fix things, you want to, you're an activator. So if something's wrong, what's the solution? Let's do one, two, and three and fix that. I don't want that to be a problem no more. And there are times when God will give you an instruction on how to fix something. But it can be really frustrating when God says the anxiety that you're feeling, it's time for you to, number one, pray, and number two, it's time for you to pause. For me, that one is difficult. To not do anything, to just stand, to just pause. So, so Pastor Chad, you're telling me if I am bombarded with overwhelming thoughts and I feel like my world is caving in on me, I need to pray and do nothing, and God's going to fix it and heal me. 
That's what I'm telling you. There are times when God wants you to stand and he wants to prove a point that you're not God. There are times when God will say, until you stand and take your hands off, I'm not going to work in this. You got to take your hands off if you want me to put my hands on it. I want you to praise and I want you to pray and I want you to pause. There are other times God may give you instructions, do this and that. But there are significant times when God will say, I don't want you to do anything ex except stand there. Psalm 46 and 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. I want you all to look at this verse. It says, he said, as they stood, I want, let me set this up. As um, they, they prayed and they paused, and as they're just standing, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon a man of God, and he, he prophesied this. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. I love this part. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. So he's speaking to the nation. He's speaking to the king. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. I think we should give God a praise for that, just that word. Like, I, I love this. The battle is the Lord's. He is with you. He is for you. He cares about you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And if you're overwhelmed with anxiety, it's a signal that you need to pray and you need to pause because it is the Lord's battle. Which leads me to the third thing as the worship team comes. Pray, pause. This is, I preached the whole message to get here. To praise that it's time to praise. I want, I want to walk you through this real quick because this is so powerful. Jehoshaphat, he's praying, God, we believe you. Even if we face calamity, you're going to deliver us because you're faithful. He paused, he stood there. And then he did something weird. Hit your neighbor and tell him, weird. He does something extremely weird. In, in my limited knowledge of warfare, listen, I would not have called this play. I would not have called the play that Jehoshaphat called. But what he did is as the three nations are coming up to attack them, he sends the worship team out on the front lines like front lines of the battle. He's like, give me the tambourine lady and the acoustic guitar guy 
And the worship leader with the skinny jeans, give me him. That's who we're sending out. Now, I, in my mind, in my economy, I'm thinking, give me John Cena, give me The Rock, give me Vin Diesel. Come on, give me Hulk Hogan. But he's not. He's like, give me Matt Redman, give me Chris Tomlin, and give me Carrie Joe. Go out there and sing They're Blessed. I mean, no, God don't think like we think. And God don't fight. I, I'm preaching to somebody right now. God don't fight the same way we fight. The worshipers went out. They started worshiping God and praising God. And that day, a miracle happened, and the three nations coming up against Israel all turned on themselves and destroyed themselves. Something happens when you and I praise in the midst of pain, when we praise before the victory. I want you to notice they didn't praise. They didn't send the praise team out after the victory. He sent the praise team out before the victory. And every time we praise in the midst of our pain, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of feeling like our world is crashing in on us, when I can lift up a praise in that kind of atmosphere, it confuses the enemy in my life. It confuses the devil it confuses demons because they think they can steal your praise the devil can't steal your praise and I don't wait until the battle is over it's easy the Bible says that the enemy destroyed themselves and it took three days to clean up the mess it's easy to shout victory in the midst of all the dead bodies but they were shouting victory before the bodies were gone, before the bodies dropped over. They were already singing praises unto God. Every time you worship in a dark season, I'm telling you, I prophesy to you, you are confusing the enemy in your life. Every single time. There is something called, I grew up in church and they, call, they, called, they talked a lot about the sacrifice of praise. I didn't know as a little kid what's a sacrifice of praise. I know what it is as a man. A sacrifice of praise is when I praise and I really don't have any evidence around me that I should be praising. This is not working out right. This feels wrong in my life. I feel like I'm not going to do everything God's called me to do. I feel hopeless in this, hopeless in that. When I praise God in the midst of all that, I'm offering up what's called a sacrifice of praise that confuses the adversary, confuses the enemy, and it will bring me out of anxiety into a place of peace and rest and eventually I will know that the battle is not mine the battle belongs to God it takes faith as you stand this morning it takes faith to praise while you hurt Anybody can praise when the battle's been won. I believe God's looking for people. 
God's looking for people that can praise Him before the battle's won. It takes faith to praise God when things aren't the way you want them to be. I don't want to be a fair weather Christian. I only praise when everything in my life is great. And when it's not, all I do is complain. Can't help but read the scriptures and see guys that were praising God as they were being martyred. We can't praise God if people don't like us. I want to be I want to be the person that can praise God when it when people can from the outside can look and say there's no he has no reason to be praising the Lord. I want to be the kind of person that can say, you know what, God's worthy of my praise. If he does not another thing in my life, he's already done enough for me to spend the rest of my life giving him praise for everything he's done for me. And everybody in this room has that testimony. He has done enough for you. He has done enough for you that you could praise him for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not saying that as if he's not going to bring about victories. I'm not a defeat preacher. In the end, how many know the battle does belong to God? And he see to it, he brings us to a place of victory every single time. We, we know that. Here's what happened in verses 29 and 30. It says, when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. It's beautiful. Gave him rest on every side. It says the fear of the Lord came on his enemies. I prophesied in the nine o'clock service and I sense I need to do that right here because there are people in this room that last part for his God had given him rest on every side and some of you you don't even know the last time you felt rested you lay down at night and you toss and you turn and you toss and you turn do you know the scripture says that our sleep as followers of Christ should be should be sweet And I just feel like I need to speak over someone who lays down and every time you lay down, you battle thoughts of anxiety. I break that in the name of Jesus. You will not be tormented with anxious thoughts when you lay down, but your sleep will be sweet in Jesus' name. And you're not gonna need drugs to do it. You're gonna lay down and rest. God, listen, he loves you so much. He wants your sleep to be sweet. enemy will do everything he can to torment you and to make you feel anxious and to rob you of sleep and to rob you of peace he works overtime at that but God's promise to you is true and he is faithful he wants your sleep to be sweet he wants you to rest in his presence and he wants to drive out all anxiety from your life if you believe that this morning can you give Jesus the best praise you have so far come on let's give him some praise today
He's an awesome, awesome God. I got to close this sermon. I'm preaching from my heart. I think you all can tell that. We're going to end right where we started, Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. As I was writing this sermon, I was thinking about that song we sing from time to time. This is how I fight my battles. But every time I get into the presence of God, I am actually fighting. That's how I fight my battle. Yeah, I am surrounded. It's just, I need to know, I'm not surrounded by the enemy. I'm actually surrounded by him and his presence. I want to speak to people in this room. I want to do a couple of things this morning. If you're here and at whatever level, Nate, you can come get this, thank you. At whatever level, you would just say, Pastor, there's anxiety in my home. That's how I feel led to, to ask it. There's anxiety in my home. And it may not even be you. It may be a spouse. It may be a child. Maybe just someone in there, but there, it may be you. But you're like, Pastor, there's been anxiety in our home. We feel anxious. We feel stressed out. We feel overwhelmed. And this message, you preach to me and you preach to my house. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? There's hands up all over this room. I'm going to ask the prayer team, if you would, to go ahead and get in place. We're get, getting ready to turn this room into an altar. The Holy Spirit's going to meet some people in this place today in a very real and powerful way. And before we transition and they begin singing and we begin praying for people, I want to ask you, while I got your attention, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I know I'm not right with God, but I want to make it right. We can call it salvation. We can call it repent. We can call it whatever you want. You just know I'm not right with God, but I want to make it right. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? I want to make things right with God. Anyone at all? Thank you for this hand back here. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Another one over here? God bless you. Can't see. Anyone else? Anyone else before we pray? I want us to pray out loud together, everybody together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to save me. Forgive me. I repent for all my sins and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give them a big God bless you? Come on, worship team. Come on, these altars are open. They're going to sing. Give him a big praise. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.